so good to have uh, all of us gathering together and worshipping God as one family. I pray that the beginning of this year, despite of all the challenges that are happening around us in the community, the challenges that may be happening in your relational world, or for you personally, that you know that God crowns the year with His goodness. He envelopes your year with His goodness. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today as we continue our brand new series uh, that Daniel started last year about breakthrough. We are, as leaders, are praying over every single family in our church, praying a breakthrough year. That 2017 will be a breakthrough year for you. A breakthrough is spiritually, just as Daniel addressed last, year, uh, last week. Where you become the type of person that connects with God in a way that you probably haven't connected with Him in that way before. Relationally, we're praying for you that in your relational spheres, that God would intervene in whichever relationships that are stuck with you at the moment in which you are struggling or that you are dissatisfied with. That God would take it to the next level in your relationships. And finally, next week, I will address the idea of God's invasion of our community. And there is no better time to think and pray and fast for God to invade our community. You know what happens, and, and the past couple of days are just an indication of what the enemy tries to do in any environment that he takes control in. Because the enemy comes in order to kill and destroy, not to bring life. But Jesus, when Jesus comes in our community, Jesus transforms the community. It transforms darkness into noonday. Jesus is the reason for any thriving environment. Jesus is, the, is what we in Melbourne, in the Western environment that we live in, are in need of most. Would I need some help from government? Would I need some help from a social environment? Would I need help from any other thing than God Himself first and foremost? And everything else gets ripple effect after that. But we, friends, need Jesus more than anywhere else around the world. We need Jesus because somehow we've believed a lie that just because we are called a Christian country, that means we're living Christ's way. But we are so removed from that reality. And next week, I am so excited to tell you some biblical things that if we as a family would do, our world will not be the same again. God will break through. And I believe it with all my heart, this is not a series, this is not a theme that we've come up with just to entertain you and, and start a series about that with the new year. I believe that with all my heart, this is our year, this is our season. And breakthrough is not just time where God sets us uh, and, and, re and releases us from some shackles or, or chains, but breakthrough is something that advances us beyond our current normal abilities can achieve. You think about it, you know, right in your pocket right now, there is some breakthrough, some advancement that changed the way you communicate. It changed the way even you work. It changed the way people interact with each other. That little smart device in your pocket today wasn't there 15, 20, or whatever, however many years ago. It was a breakthrough. You know, those of us 
who uh, experience traveling from one continent to another, we understand the breakthrough of an airplane. You don't have to be uh, traveling for you know, weeks or months to get from one place to another. Now it's mere hours. That's a breakthrough. A breakthrough is a new thing that sets you a gear above where you're at. It's another level of living. It does life in a different way than what you've experienced it in the past. And friends, regardless whether you are currently stuck or struggling or utterly dissatisfied with an area of your life, God can give you a supernatural capacity to do life differently. And we call that a breakthrough. Today I have the privilege of sharing with you about relational breakthrough. How God can take us to the next level in our relationships. And I'm going to absolutely up front admit this. Relationships are not my strong aspect. It's not my, uh, my gifting. Relationships, it doesn't come to me naturally. But I'm learning. And I hope that some way when I was putting the preaching schedule to maneuver the the preaching schedule so I don't do this particular sermon, but I failed in doing that because I took a week off last week. But honestly, relationship is something that takes me a lot of energy and a lot of conscious effort and a lot of prayer in order just to manage okay. Susie, my wife, on the other hand, is on the opposite side of the spectrum. She is what you would call a social freak, yeah? When she wants to have a rest, she goes out even to talk to strangers in the shops. It's like that is the last thing on my mind when I'm tired or stressed. I want to sit alone and love my book. And this created a bit of tension when we first got married because Susie waited for the weekend so she can socialize. I waited for the weekend so I can rest from socializing. So on Saturday, on a Saturday morning, Susie's, you know, beaming with excitement. You know, wow, we're going to meet some people. And I am sick in my stomach, literally, that we're going to have to go out and socialize on a Saturday when I'm supposed to be enjoying myself. And it occurred after a period of time, that I realized, and and you think I'm joking, I realized that on a normal Saturday morning, I am bent over on the floor with stomachache, like pain, like literal pain. Ask Susie if you don't believe me. And after a little while, it occurred to me that I'm always sick on the day that we have to go out to socialize. And somehow relationship triggered fear within me that I couldn't manage, so I tried to escape. And it's not that people are nasty or difficult or challenging or negative. It just was me. And I don't know about you. But you know when relationships work well, we're thriving. But when they don't work well, life sucks. Everything takes a different color when our relationships, whether at home or with our extended families or in our friendship groups or even in the church or in the workplace, somehow relationships, when they don't work, they ruin everything else around them. How, how powerful is that? That work will be so good, but because you've got a relationship that's dysfunctional and it stuffs up everything in life that you currently enjoy. Relationships are powerful. 
You know, I don't know about your experiences, uh, depending on, on, on how well you are in, in your abilities to socialize with people or, or your intuitive ability to connect with types of you know, strangers and, and close people alike, whatever it might be for you. But I bet there came a season in your life, and maybe you're in one right now, where you feel a little bit hard done by in some of your interactions with people. And it may be a conflict that's obvious, that is sucking the life out of you. Or maybe it is something that's occurring beneath the surface. Maybe people are not overtly against you, but there is, they're withholding their approval, they're withholding their acceptance. And it seems like you're a little puppy dog trying everything that you can, bending over backwards in order to gain their acceptance. So you can be happy again. For some of us, we're in an environment that's really oppressive, where, where, where people seem to have power struggles, and, and almost the person with the most power is the person that wins in, a, in, a, in, in relationships. And, and you're like, you really want to say something, but you're petrified if you say something, you're going to be bulldozed. You feel like you're going to be crushed, and you, and, and you just feel like you're at the end of yourself, and you don't have the personal capacity or relational skills to get over that burden. It might be that there's some gossips that, that are troubling you. Uh, maybe there might be some sort of subtle abuse or manipulation. Maybe you are pressured to do something that you don't feel comfortable doing. Maybe somebody's trying to, 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 to put you in a position where you interact with them in a particular way that you don't feel comfortable doing. Relationships can bring the best out of us and they can bring the worst out of us. And you know what happens often a time is that when relationships are difficult, some of us shut down relationally. And during my holiday in the past couple of weeks, I was reading a book called Rare Leadership. And the authors, the, the two doctors, uh, talking about four habits that help leaders uh, relate in, in a better way relationally and emotionally with people around them. And one of the things that, that they talk about that really intrigued me is that when we as individual leaders or followers, doesn't really matter, when we're relationally shut down, there is about six different things that come uh, that we, uh, we, we do, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that suggests that our system is shutting down, our relational uh, system is shutting down. And I'm going to read you uh, a few of those. It says, you don't feel like being around someone you normally like. You know that you are shutting down relationally. You just want to make a person or a problem go away. I, I can affiliate with that. Uh, your mind is locked onto something upsetting, you know, that you, regardless of how many good things happening around you, you're focused on the little thing that's not working out. Number four, it's talking you become aggressive in the way you interrogate, judge, or fix people. Number five, you don't want to make eye contact. Number six, you feel like it's their fault if they get hurt by some, something you do or say. They are just some symptoms where we shut down. We want to go under the doona and we want to get up when things are better once again. But what if there is a relational breakthrough for you and I in 2017 that helps you and helps me not to shut down regardless of people's interaction with us? 
What if there is a secret that could help you and help me relate with people in a way that does not suck the life out of you most of the time? And this is what I want to share with you today. It comes from a story in the scripture of a family well known to us. And it comes from uh, the, the, the father of, uh, of, of faith, Abraham, who married to, uh, Sarah. And, and they, they both, after a period of time, got the promised son, Isaac, who married Rebekah. And Rebekah and Isaac uh, uh, had, a, uh, had twins, one named Jacob and one named Esau. Esau uh, uh, came out uh, of the womb first, and that was significant in that era. Because the firstborn had the responsibility of the clan and had the blessing and the birthright associated with it. So when, when a father died, they didn't divide their inheritance uh, equally. They gave the firstborn uh, double the portion so that they could look after others. So they were the blessed one. And here we have an image of Esau going first. And behind him we have Jacob who's holding uh, grasping his heel. And many people say the meaning of the word Jacob is a heel grasper. Or, or a, a, actually some people say, some teachers, you probably, if you've grown up in the church, you have heard many messages that tells you that Jacob is meaning a deceiver. And maybe so. But I think the actual word doesn't mean a deceiver. That's how Esau, it changed it and manipulated to mean a deceiver. But the actual word means to follow up behind. He comes behind someone else. So there is a first and Jacob is the second. And like the truth is, Jacob did live up to his name. Not as a deceiver, but as a second. Somebody that comes after another. That was his identity for the rest of his life. In fact, you look at, at his relationship with his dad, and he wasn't the first. His brother Esau was the favorite, and, and Jacob had to live with the burden of always feeling second. Have you heard that saying, if you're second, you're last? Well, it was literally last, because there were only two brothers. And Jacob had to live with that burden that his name, his identity, his lot in life is to be second. And he was so desperately wanting to live up to the prophecy that he was going to be the responsible one, the first. Yet, yet, yet Esau seemed to be taking the scene. He was the one, the outdoor man, the hunter, the one that's loved by the father. And one day, uh, uh, what was Jacob was at home, and, uh, and you probably heard that he was mommy's boy, but in fact, the scripture tells us that he was actually a man of integrity. The word is spoken of him that sometimes uh, uh, interpreted as weak is the same word that spoke of Job as the man of integrity. So he was staying around and he was cooking. He was the chef. And his brother comes in and he's hungry. He's starving after hunting all day long. And, and, he, and he smells the stew and he smells the soup. And, 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 and his appetite just goes crazy. And he says to his brother, give me some of that red thing. And his brother says, why, you, we can trade. You know how people trade cards and trade stuff like that. He traded the most precious thing someone could have in that era, and that's the birthright of responsibility over the family for a ball stew. 
Jacob sold him his birthright. He took the birthright and he gave him a stew instead. And Israel didn't care until the day that Isaac was blind and he was about to die. He was old and in age and, and he wanted to pass on the blessing that's associated with the firstborn, associated with the birthright. So when uh, Isaac was about to, to give his son uh, Esau the blessing, he didn't do it outwardly, publicly, as was the custom. He wanted to maneuver the situation and did it privately. So he called Esau in private and says, Hey boy, you're my boy. You go get me some food and, and, and we eat and I'm going to bless you. And his intention was to bless Esau all the blessing. He wasn't going to give him double the portion and, and give his son something. He was going to give him everything. But he wanted to do it underhandedly. He wanted to do it privately. Something wasn't right. And who heard that? Rebecca. And Rebecca uh, was, uh, uh, was really uh, uh, feeling for, for her, her son Jacob. He was her favorite. And, uh, and she asked that he would uh, pretend to be Esau and receive the blessing. So he, when, when Jacob went to Isaac and told him, here is, here is the meal that you've asked for so you can bless me. That's it. You know, wow, you, you're so quick. How did you do that so quickly? He said, oh, God, you know, provided. And, and, and he blamed God for his lying. And anyway, uh, the, the, you know, his father said to him, what's your name? And Jacob said, I am Esau. He lied. His father said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but you feel like Esau because he dressed up like Esau. And his father blessed him. And when the son came, uh, when Esau came with all his weapons of hunting and he discovered that he was cheated and deceived uh, and he's re he has got no more blessings to receive himself, he was so angry. So Rebecca said to her favorite son, Jacob, run away to your uncle Laban. And, uh, and he ran away, and for 20 years, uh, Jacob lived with Laban. And he got married, and he ha had children. And after a little while, uh, I think 20 or 21 years, uh, there was also another problem that occurred with his uncle, and he decided that he's going to uh, leave. And, and God said to him, go back to your family and to your land. And you can imagine how petrified Jacob must have been. He's going to go back and he's going to confront his brother Esau after 21 years. And he was absolutely petrified. And I'm going to pick up the story from there, from the book of Genesis chapter 32. And I'm hoping by the end of this, we will discover some little principles that will help bring some breakthrough in our relational world. In Genesis chapter 32 and verse 3, it says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And those words, Seir, country, and Edom, they, they, they words in Hebrew that play on the three things they have resemblance, three other words uh, that speak and represent Esau. The first one speak of his birth, how, how, Jake, how Jacob was second to Esau. The second one speaks of, of his birthright, of, of how because of the stew, um, uh, 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 Jacob sold Esau uh, uh, 
a, a bowl of stew for his birthright. And the third one it speaks of his, uh, his hair and a blessing when Jacob put on the hair of Esau so that he could pretend that he's someone else and receive the blessing. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my master Esau. Your, say, your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, men servant and maid servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. So Jacob is taking the initiative to try to soften his brother Esau's wrath against him. And in verse 6, it says, When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. And 400 men are with him. The 400 men in Jacob's mind immediately refer to the fighting men. Oh, my goodness. How many do I have? And now Esau, my brother, it's got 400 men to meet me. I am mince meat. In verse 7, you know what? Sometimes I'm, I'm scared of, of a dog. And this guy's got 400 people coming his way. So don't be too harsh on him. If you had 400 people coming your way, you will be doing some assault yourself. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flock and the herds and the camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. The group that is left may escape. I want to tell you something about our relationships. Esau hasn't met Jacob yet. But the relational sphere has expanded so much that Jacob was already reacting. And that is the trick for all of us. When we think of a breakthrough, we think of what God could do to other people in our relational world. How God could change those who are negative. How God could stop the plots of the manipulative. How God could put, make those who are harsh, kind towards us. We think of others are the reasons that our relational world is collapsing. But the reality is in every relationship, we bring to the relationship just as much as the other interactions come our way. And here, Esau hasn't even come to Jacob. He hasn't said a word to Jacob. He hasn't said, I'm going to find you, bro, in a search and destroy campaign. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy you. He, had, did, he hadn't told him a single thing. But the first thing that happens in our relational world is we have preset thinking patterns. Preset thinking patterns. We have preset action patterns, and we have preset emotional patterns. You see, I told you early on that I, that I have struggled sometimes with socializing with people, particularly people that I don't know because of my personality, being a little bit introverted, and, and because of my upbringing. 
So I decided I'm going to do something about it. If I'm in a people business, I have to do something about it. So I began to see a psychologist. And I decided to see a psychologist that deals with post-traumatic stress disorder. And the, and the psychologist explained to me that there is something inside my system uh, that function in what we would call window of tolerance. That we function normally with our adult functional brain uh, throughout interaction with everybody every day. We have logical ways of dealing with people and we have appropriate ways to manage our own uh, interactions with people and we're being ourselves as long as our rational mind is in play. But sometimes we get triggered. That trigger happens in a place in the brain called the amygdala. And the amygdala is like an alarm thing. It goes off, bang, bang, threat, threat, danger, threat, danger, threat, danger. And, and all of a sudden, as soon as your amygdala gives messages to your brain that something dangerous is, is, is happening around the corner, it shuts your rational brain and your animal brain takes over in less than 0.27 of a, of a second or something like that. And your animal brain does one of two things, actually one of three things, fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, flight, or freeze. And all of a sudden, you're not thinking like a rational person in your interaction with other people, but out of your stress, out of your own pre-patterns, you function in a way that's automatic, either fight, flight, or freeze. And that is exactly what happened with Jacob. The first thing, he went, as soon as he got triggered, that there may be a fight coming his way and he's in danger. Even though it doesn't say that Esau was coming after him. But he interpreted it that way. Because you and I have a preset interpretation patterns in our brain. As soon as somebody interacts with you in a particular way, you think about it in a way different than what they may have intended. We have preset patterns of thinking. So if I interact with somebody in a particular way, say Susie and I in the same place and somebody interacting with us in a particular way, I would come up with a fear uh, interpretation of, of the interaction. While Susie would think they, that, you know, if Susie was with, uh, with Jacob when he heard that there's 400 people coming, hey, come on, let's go, there's a party on the corner, you know, Jesus coming to celebrate with the 400 people. I will be like Jacob running for my life. This is going to be a disaster because that's the preset pattern in my brain. And that may be something in your brain that pushes you to react immediately to something that's neutral. There is also preset action patterns. What did uh, Jacob do? The first thing he said, okay, let's get into gear. Let's get in our two parties. Let's put one group here and one group there. And if you notice, he put the people that are dear to him far away from the potential action. And he put the people that, you know, some of his family members, that he doesn't care about too much or he cares about a little bit less, you know, up the front to cop the brunt of the fight. And he's saying, you know what? I am repeating the same dysfunctional pattern in my family. Because he understood with personal experience that there are always two camps in the home. It was Isu in the camp with his father Isaac. And there was Rebecca and Jacob in the back. And we too, in our interactions with other people, we are not necessarily mirroring 
what they've done to us or what they're doing with us, but we are mirroring our own dysfunctional relational patterns. The third thing that is preset emotional patterns is that appear in our relationships. It says here in the last, uh, in, 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 uh, in verse uh, 21, so, so Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. He was alone. And many of us, including me, when there is a trigger relationally, I want to withdraw. And maybe you do the same thing. It might be that people are trying to get close to you, but you're, you're moving away. You might be moving away by, by some sort of withdrawal or, or cold shoulder or, or even aggression, whatever it might be, but you're trying to say, hey, move away from me because I'm feeling a little bit threatened at the moment. And that's what happened to Jacob. But then the amazing thing that occurred when Jacob realized all those preset patterns won't save him, he began to do what he should have done first. Then Jacob prayed. Because relationships, friends, are a spiritual matter, not just a relational matter. Just like what Steve was saying early on today. He was saying that all of us are spiritual beings and our interactions and relationships can be influenced predominantly by our spiritual relationship with God. Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. So he's saying, God, you're the covenant making God. You're the God that said that regardless of my sin. Because listen people, this was not something that Jacob is blaming someone else for. Jacob knew the reason why he was petrified because he's done something wrong. Jacob is the person that deceived his brother and he deserved to be punished for that. So he's not coming to God and saying, I'm innocent, God, please protect me. He's coming with his, uh, with his tail between his legs and, and saying, I stuffed it up, God. But you are the God of the covenant. You are the, it's not the Mosaic covenant where you do something good and receive a blessing. This is the Abrahamic covenant where God is unconditionally committed to your life regardless of what you've done in the past. And friends, we are following the God of Abraham. We are the children of Abraham. And you have a covenant with God regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your wrongdoings. Don't let a single soul try to convince you that your destiny is gone because you're stuffed up. Because your God is the God of the second chance. And Jacob prayed to the God of the covenant. He says, O Lord, who said to me, because he's the God that speaks to us. I was on a little... Uh, a holiday the past uh, a week or so with some of our friends from church and, and one of the, the people that was there, one of the persons that was there, he said to me, you know, when I, when I first came to, to the holiday, I knew it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to have a lot of activities. But you know what? I was really petrified that I'm not going to have time to listen to God and spend time with God. Wow. Because when you begin to hear God, your life changes. And some of us are missing on the best possible thing in life that is to hear your daddy speak to you personally every day. Because when the going gets tough, you need to go back to what God said to you. Who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. 
And the reality is he interpreted God's promise to him in the previous chapter, 31.3, I believe, where God says to him, I'll be with you. But Jacob realized just being with me is not a promise of your presence. It's a promise of your favor. You're going to help me prosper because when God is with you, no one can be against you. No relationship can sink you when God is on your side. Because if the Lord is with you, who can be against you? I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. And the word unworthy, actually, it's interpreted little. As somebody that doesn't have legal credential. Somebody that needs to depend on someone else for his welfare. And you too can depend on God, your almighty father, for your well-being and your welfare, even if you're little. He says, I am little. I'm unworthy. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. You have blessed me beyond measure. And then he says this, that what we all want to say when we have relational difficulties, say, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And friends, that's what we always pray, but it is the wrong prayer. So Esau plans to send 550 animals ahead of him to his brother. And he says to his servants, go ahead of, uh, ahead of me. And he says to them, to, uh, you know, uh, send to my Lord Esau and tell him that Jacob is coming behind us. And in verse 21, like I said before, so Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him. I want to remind you that in, throughout this particular chapter, Jacob was living up to his name. Jacob was always behind. Jacob was always following from behind. He was living his identity. He was not courageous. He would do anything rather than face to his issue. He was always petrified. But then, this is the secret that if you and I would do this year, our relationship would change. It, in verse 22 it says, That night, Jacob got up, and took his two wives, his two mate servants, and his 11 sons. And don't think, I mean, you have to have two wives. That's not going to help your relationships. Uh, I'm coming to it. I'm coming to it. Uh, he can't even cope with one, let alone two. I feel sorry for him. After he had sent them across, I love Susie, though. Uh, after, he, I have to go home with her. So, yeah. uh, after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possession. Look at this. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And the word wrestle in Hebrew is very, very important. It means to engage physically in a fight. And when the man felt like he couldn't win, we don't know whether Jacob couldn't win or the or or the. Uh, the man who later on in verse 31, Jacob identifies as Elohim, means God was fighting with him. It's, a, it's almost like a, a, an image, an appearance, an apparition of the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, whatever it might be, we know that he was fighting with God. And then God touched or struck the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go. For it is daybreak. Let me go. For it is daybreak. That means Jacob was holding to him for dear life. But then it says, But Jacob replied, 
I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go. This is somebody holding to God for dear life. He's saying, I'm not going to let you go. I have no other option. I have no other reason for living. I cannot let you go. I'm going to be mincemeat if you let me go. I am holding, clinging to you. The man asked, that is God, what is your name? What is your name? And he says, Jacob, he answered. What on earth? God doesn't know his name. Of course he does. This wasn't a declaration of secret information. This was God making the biggest thing that would change Jacob's relational world and maybe yours. So please listen to me. Jacob means the person that follows up from behind. The person that's second. And God was saying to him, who are you? The last time Jacob was seeking a blessing and was asked about his name, the last time we know about it in the scripture is the time when his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he said, I am Esau. And somehow, somehow Jacob has got the identity in his mind that he does not deserve a blessing. Jacob is second, not first to the blessing. So he had to pretend to be somebody else to receive a blessing. And God wanted to bring him to that point and says, you now need to understand that I bless you the way you are. But I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to change your identity once for all. I'm not going to make you issue to receive a blessing. I'm going to make you somebody greater. He says, the man said, your name will no longer, your name no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And in this incident, God changes Jacob's identity and preset pattern. Because Israel actually means prince with God or God rules or God prevails. You are no longer second in the line. You're a prince. You're no longer somebody that has to pretend to be someone else in order to, to be blessed. You're blessed because of your identity. And he knocks him off. He dislocates his, his hip so that Jacob will be a different person. Look at this. In verse 31, the sun rose above him. A brand new day. The sun rose above him. That is above Israel. As he passed Peniel, which means to see the face of God or the face of El. And he was limping because of his hip. A new day, a new identity, and a new way of walking. Let me tell you, friends, your identity determines your activity. Your identity determines your activity. Your identity determines your activity. How you see yourself will help you know how to act with people. 
And then you'll begin to ask yourself, every time Jacob was limping, he began to ask himself, how is it like me to act like Israel? Because if he was walking straight, he hasn't changed. But every time he's limping, he's realizing he's a new person. This is a permanent, distinct feature of someone else. And here is the secret. It does not matter what other people do to you and me. It does matter who you are with people. Because your relational sanity is dependent on your emotional maturity. Are you relating as the just me, which is Jacob? Or are you relating as the Jesus me? The Jesus that lives within you, the overcomer that's within you. The one who is secure. The one who is not afraid of people's plots. The one who can walk through the opposition and not be harmed. The one that can love his enemies. The one who can forgive those who crucify him. That is what it is like you to act. It's not you based on your dysfunctional family and upbringing. It's based on you being little Jesus in the world. And regardless of what other people do to us, because if they talked about Jesus as a demon-possessed man, they can tell worse things about you and I, deservingly. But the reality is this. People's opinion and interactions with you do not determine your relational health. It's who you are. And that choice is ours, friends. Are we functioning as Jacob or are we functioning as Israel? Are we functioning as just me or are we functioning as the Jesus me? Because when we do function like the Jesus us, our relationship goes to the next supernatural level. And that's why when Jacob goes and meets Esau, in verse 3, in Genesis 33, it says, He himself went, went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that Jacob, and can you see the word he himself, the emphasis? Jacob himself went on ahead. Did you get it? Because Jacob would have been where? Behind. But your limp to change how you behave. Because your identity changed how you feel. And your feelings and your emotions change how you interpret people's actions with you. He was no longer the one that follows up from behind. He was the one that courageously goes ahead. He was no longer the one that's waiting for others to bow to him as in Genesis 27. He's the one that's now bowing to his brother. He's the one that started saying the truth to his brother again when his brother asked him, why all those 550 animals that you've given me? He said, I was trying to pacify you. He said the truth no matter what and you know what your identity determines your activity you don't need God to change people you need God to change you and if you want rest relationally you need to wrestle spiritually 
if you want to rest relationally, regardless of what people do to you, you need to wrestle with God spiritually. And that's why we're inviting you to a 17 days of fasting in 2017. Beginning from February the 1st, we're going to fast as a church. You're invited to participate with us for 17 days. You might be on a partial fast. You might go on a vegetarians and grain lock, the Daniel fast. You may take a couple of days of absolute fast. You may fast as a chain with your connect group or whatever it might be. But friends, you need to wrestle with God and say, God, you need to change me. I cannot have sanity in my life the way I'm living now. And it's not people to be blamed. It's me. I'm broken from the inside. I no longer want to live with the dysfunction. I don't want, no longer want to live with the identity that hampered me all my life. God, I want to be different. I want to understand my identity as a little Jesus in the world, loved and adored and protected and wise and knowledgeable and caring and sensitive and selfless and absolutely healing oriented in all my relationships. Well, how is it like me to act? Friends, all it will take, not God breaking through in others, but God breaking through in you. If you want to rest emotionally, you need to wrestle spiritually. And you're invited. That's what a fast is like. Say, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. It changed me. It changed me, radically changed me from the inside out. Because my relationships and the relational stability that I'm seeking is really dependent on my emotional maturity. Jensen Franklin an author and a, and, and a speaker and a, and a preacher and a pastor, an amazing man of God. He introduced me afresh to fasting several years ago in a book called Fasting for Creativity Purposes. And he says this, Fasting is the secret key that unlocks heaven's door and slams shut the gates of hell. You soon realize that fasting is an overlooked secret source of power. Could we be missing our greatest breakthrough because we failed to fast? Friends, in the Western world, fasting is a commodity because we're not desperate. I remember when dad was taken to prison, we fasted, boy, we fasted. Boy, we fast because we desperately needed God. I want to tell you if you really need God in any area of your life, I want to invite you to fast. We'll be sending you a, a devotional uh, every day to encourage you, to egg you on, to stir you up, that you may continue to wrestle with God, that you may win with man. Then wrestle with people thinking that you're going to win with God. Wrestle with God instead of people. Friends, right now, I want to pray for you. Because I know many of us experiencing difficulties in our relational world. And whilst you still have to fast and wrestle with God, I just want to pray for you that you may receive God's strength right here to persevere. So would you please be upstanding? Let me pray for you.
If you feel comfortable, why don't you stretch your hand? Father God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the one who loves us unconditionally, regardless of our mistakes, our flaws, our messed up identity and thinking patterns. Thank you that you meet us. Even when we're wrestling, thank you that you come and mirror our feelings and bless us. Thank you that you ha we have the capacity to live like Jesus, not just like us. I pray in all our relationships, God, that we won't wrestle with people, but would wrestle with you. And Lord God, I pray for strength over my brothers and sisters in this room, regardless of the relational situation that may be it's challenging them right now. Or maybe a relationship that's stale. Maybe a relationship where there's a little bit of struggle. Or, or maybe they're stuck in a particular relationship and there's no way out. God, I pray for a breakthrough. A breakthrough that is not just with people, but inside of us, I pray. We love you. We honor you. And we declare that you are an overcomer in us. That we are not defeated that we can be victorious because you in us are the victorious one. We love and honor you. And we declare that today you are the victor who wears the victor crown. In Jesus' name, amen.